Beautiful, Maddie. That was great, man. Thank you for thank you for giving it your all like that. I appreciate that so much. Take your Bibles tonight, if you will, please, and turn to John chapter nine. John chapter nine. We gave you uh, already. We gave you the introduction to this message, and so I'm just going to preach. I'm going to preach the body of the message tonight. But boy, oh man, what a thought that I want to I want to try to give you tonight, if the Lord will allow us to do that. And so John chapter 9, once again in your Bibles, and, um, and uh, just, well, I hope you, hope you get the thought that I'm going to give you this evening, or the Lord wants to give you tonight. John chapter 9, and once you find your place, if you're able to stand, if you're not, that's fine, but if you're able to stand, if you'll stand with us tonight out of respect for the reading of God's Word, John chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. How many know we we better be careful about judging people? Because we never know why they're going through what they're going through. Uh, And and, and that's what the Lord is is saying there. Verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, now watch closely. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. But he said, I'm he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight, and he said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man's not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind men again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son whom ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not, or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And I read all this scripture because I just wanted to make it to verse number 25. 
he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or not, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. <laughs> That's what you call proof in the pudding. Amen. That's right. You may be seated tonight. And I want to talk to you a little bit, about, uh, a little bit more about that subject. Uh, we're calling it, it's your move tonight. It's your move. And so let's pray, and we'll jump right into the study tonight. Father, thank you for your uh, blessings on us today and for the great services we've had this morning. And Lord, the good spirit that's here tonight. And I pray that you'll bless now as we take just a few moments, uh, not long, but just a few moments, and just teach and preach a little bit from this most precious book, the Word of God. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak to every heart, and I pray that uh, we'll be challenged. God, I pray that we'll be challenged to go out and live for Christ this week. And Lord, if there might be one here tonight that's never been saved, I pray tonight would be the night that come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I pray that God, all of us, will go out of here realizing that, uh, that you're Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and God, that you're able. You, as we said this morning, you're a sovereign God, and God, you use the simplistic, and we thank you for the wonderful picture of salvation that we saw this morning in the Scripture. And so I pray that you'll bless now. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, and we pray that you would accomplish your will the best we know how. We plead the blood, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ over this service and this people and this preacher, and we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would do a great work tonight. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray, and for his sake, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Interesting. Boy, what a great chapter John chapter 9 is. But I want to encourage you when you get an opportunity to go back and read John chapter 8 because John chapter 8 likewise is a very powerful chapter. If you go back to John chapter 8, you'll read about how Jesus has been involved in an, what I would call an intense discourse with the Pharisees in the temple. In fact, if you read the scripture, you'll find out they've become so upset at Christ that they prepare to stone the Lord. As they, uh, as they literally begin to pick the rocks up to stone Jesus, uh, the Bible says that he leaves the temple. Now, uh, I, I uh, had Brother Allen, uh, I've got a little map there that I want to put up uh, on the screen there so you can get some perspective. I know it's small, and I know you, you need a microscope almost to see this, but, uh, but I want you to understand, uh, this will help you to get some perspective. And so you'll see there at the top right of the, of the screen there is the temple. And Jesus is there in the temple. And he gets in a discourse with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And boy, they get so upset at him. And they talk about how Abraham is their father. And, and, uh, and Jesus, that's, that's where we read this morning. That's where Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Uh, and they get, so, they get so upset at Jesus. They, they literally begin to, to stone him or get ready to stone him. And so Jesus leaves the temple up here in the right corner, the right top corner of the screen. He gets ready to, to leave the temple, the upper part of the city. And that's when he passes the man that is born blind. Uh, Christ anoints his eyes. And then the Bible says he sends the blind man to wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, uh, the reason I put the map up there is because I want you to notice that the temple is at the top right of the screen, but the pool of Siloam is at the bottom right of the screen. You'll notice there. And so they're quite a ways apart. 
Now, church, I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure if that blind man had anybody to lead him to that pool. But yet Jesus said, I'm going to anoint your eyes with clay, and I want you now to go, and I want you to wash in the pool of Siloam. It at least appears that his parents were not there to lead him to the pool. According to verses number 20 and verse number 21, evidently they were not there. And so evidently he did not have his parents there to lead him. More than likely he was, the Bible talks about him begging. And so more than likely earlier in the day, they've taken this blind man and they've set him somewhere around the temple because that was a good place to try to get alms. And, and so here's this blind man that could not work a job and could not make his own living. And so they would bring him out early in the day. They would sit him around the temple somewhere. And as people were going by, he would beg alms and ask people to, uh, to give him alms. And so uh, he's more than likely at the temple. And then Jesus comes and makes the clay with the spittle. He anoints his eyes, and then he says, I just I find this very odd. Then he tells a blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now again, understand, Jesus is at the top right of the map, and the pool of Siloam is at the bottom right of the map, quite a ways away. And here's a blind man. Jesus has touched him, but he hasn't, he's not able to see yet. And Jesus says, I want you to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Interesting study. In fact, interestingly enough, the actual pool of Siloam was discovered as recently as 2004 when they actually found the pool of Siloam. Now, uh, studied out, if Jesus was close to the temple, and I believe he was, and if the blind man was close to the temple, and I believe he was, and Jesus sends him to the pool of Siloam, that means that's approximately 1,000, at least 1,000 yards away from where the blind man was sitting. Now, that's 10 football fields. Now, again, you say, preacher, no big deal. No big deal for you. But it's a pretty big deal for a blind man. If I were to tell Brother Allen, Brother Allen, I need you to run down here 1,000 yards and, and I, I want you to get something, you know, no big deal. I don't know how far it is from here to the new property where we had the uh, groundbreaking service today. I would guess that would probably be something similar to that. And, uh, you know, that was no big deal for most of us. We were able to walk over there pretty easily. But can you imagine having a blind man in our church and telling a blind man, hey, buddy, I want you to go over here. By the way, he's been blind from his birth. He doesn't know where the pull of is. Man, he, he doesn't have his bearings. And so it would be like a blind man that had never been in Union Grove sitting in our auditorium. And we say to this blind man, hey, buddy, we'll see you over on the new property. That means nothing to him. But yet Jesus asked this blind man to go to the pool of Siloam, 10 football fields away, and to wash in the pool of Siloam. And I, I, when I read that, I thought, you know, what is this? Why would the Lord Jesus Christ send a blind man on an errand such as this? Is this some kind of a joke? I mean, this is something that somebody would do to try to mock a blind person or a handicapped person. And of course, we know that's not what the Lord is doing. We know that the Lord is not bringing about a joke or mocking this blind man in any way. Honestly and truly, church, I believe we find a great truth here. I believe that Jesus is teaching us a wonderful truth. Uh, listen, it's no problem for me to heal your blind eyes. He who created the eye has no problem giving it sight. He who made the eye out of clay in the first place has no problem healing it with clay. Is that right? He who spoke the words and made an eyeball that takes in 80,000 items per second 
has no problem giving a blind eye sight. But it's almost, here in John chapter 9, it's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, son, it's your move. It's your move. Are you willing to do something in order to receive something? I'm willing to make a move if you're willing to make a move. And so Jesus anoints his eyes. By the way, how many know that right then, instantaneously, Jesus could have healed him? Is that right? Jesus could have just spoke the words and healed him, but yet he anointed his eyes with clay and then said to a blind man that could not see and possibly had nobody to lead him in the way, he said, now, son, I want you to go a 1,000 yards down here to the Pool of Siloam. And by the way, by the way, uh, look at some pictures of the Pool of Siloam and, and the Pool of Siloam had steps going down into it. And so not only are you asking a blind man to go to the Pool of Siloam, but now he's got to go down steps to get there uh, and down an incline to get there. Uh, and so I really, believe the Lord is saying this, you know what, I've done my part, now it's time for you to make your move. You see, when you play a game of checkers or chess, it's necessary to allow the other person to move before you make your move. And Jesus is saying this, before I do this great work, are you willing to make a contribution? Are you willing to make some sacrifice? How about this? Are you willing to make a deposit in order to, give, to receive a withdrawal? Are you willing to make an investment to receive a return? Hey, Christian, did you know tonight that God is more than willing to do something great in your life tonight? But I have a question. Are you willing to travel to the pool of Siloam? He's willing to move. He's willing to do the miraculous. He's willing to do great things in your life, but are you willing to make a contribution? And with that said, I'm amazed at the Christians who want God to do great things in their life, yet, yet they're not willing to go to the pool of Siloam. And it's almost like, God, I want you to do this, and Lord, here's my Christmas list, and, and Lord, I want, you to, I want you to check this off and check this off and check this off, and Lord, here's your, here's your priority list. Here's your task of things to do. And the Lord says, all right, I tell you what, I can do it. I can meet every one of those needs. I can do all those things for you, but are you willing to do some things for me? And I'm amazed at the Christians who want God to move for them, and yet they're not willing to move for God. Did you know that what I'm preaching tonight is really, if you study your Bible, it is really a predominant Bible truth. God is more than willing to bless, but often requires you and I to put forth some effort before he blesses. Let me give you, an, let me give you for instance. Take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn over, to, uh, turn over to 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5 in your Bibles, and and you're going to be amazed how short this message is, all right? So, so turn because you're, this is going to get, give you some help tonight. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse number 9. Again, the Lord says, you know what? I'm well able. I'm well able to give you the miraculous. I'm well able to bless you. But you know what? There are times when God says, it's your move. I want you to do something. I want you to make a contribution. And when I see you make a contribution, you know what? Then I'll do what's next. And so it's amazing that in 2 Kings chapter 5 that God, we, we, we come across a story of a man by the name of Naaman. And Naaman was a leper. He was a terrible leper. Uh, he was a very powerful man, but he was a leper. And had, evidently he had the disease very bad. And he had a little maid in his home, and, uh, and this little maid took care of his wife. And, and, uh, and one day she just remarked to, uh, to the mistress there, she said, ma'am, I know how your husband could be healed. There is a man of God. And uh, the Bible says that Naaman went down to Elisha. Look, if you will, at verse number nine. 
And so here's this powerful uh, general, if you will. He comes down to the man of God in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9. The Bible says, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Look at verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. Now look at verse 11. The Bible says, but Naaman was, what was he? He was wroth. He was, man, he was livid. He was angry. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. You don't believe they had faith healers back then? Oh, yes, they did. Naaman knew exactly what they were. He said, I thought surely the man of God would come out and he'd just say, be gone, you know, come out. And, uh, and I was gonna be healed and I didn't think there'd be anything to it. That'd be it. We'd go back and live happily ever, ever, ever after. But here's the thing. You know what God said to Naaman? Naaman, I'd be more than glad to heal you, but I want you to do something first. I want you to go down to the muddy Jordan and I want you to dip seven times. And you know the story. The Bible says Naaman went down there and uh, boy, got mad, stomped off. His servant says, Lord, if he'd asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? And, and uh, is it asking too much just go down here to, to Jordan and dip? And he talked about these other rivers that, that were so crystal clear. And, uh, but you know what? He humbled himself and he did what God said. And I can see it. I Can't you see it in your imagination? Naaman goes down there and he dips down once and he comes up, still got leprosy. I knew it. He goes down that second time, comes up, still got leprosy. He goes down that third time, that fourth time, that fifth time, that sixth time, comes up, man. I mean, that, that tissue and that flesh is still corrupt and he's still got that disease and all of a sudden, you know what, in faith, he goes down that seventh time and comes up and the Bible says that his flesh became as a little babe. I mean, completely whole. Now, what's your point, preacher? My point is this, that God was able to heal Naaman the leper but wanted him to do something first. Naaman, it's your move. I thought about the story over there in 1 Kings chapter 7, uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, the Bible talks about a little widow lady of Zarephath. Y'all remember that story? And the Bible says that the man of God, the Bible says that Elisha came down there uh, uh, and she was gonna take care of him. And, and the Bible says when he got there, she said, Lord, she said, I don't have anything. She said, I've got a little bit of meal in a barrel. And she said, I'm, I'm getting ready to gather a few sticks and I'm gonna make a fire and I'm gonna make me and my son our very last meal. We have no food. We're in a terrible drought. Uh, we're in a terrible famine. And she said, I don't know what we're gonna do. And isn't it interesting that Elisha said to her, he said, all right, do as thou has said, but first, go bake me a cake. Now that seems a little selfish. But you know what Elisha was doing? Elisha was exercising her faith. And he said, you know what, ma'am? God is more than able to meet your need and God is more than able to fill that barrel and give you the meal that you need. But before God does that, God wants you to do something first. And sure enough, she went and made the man of God a cake. And you know what the Bible says? She went back to that barrel and there was more meal there. And a little bit later, she went back to that barrel and there was more meal there. And she went back to that barrel and there was more meal there. And she went back to that barrel and there was more meal there. And I'm just saying this, brother, that God is is able to do what you need him to do. But a lot of times God says, before I do what you want me to do, it's your move. It's your move. I think about there in 2 Kings chapter four. And uh, I think about that little widow of the dead prophet. Remember that story? 
The Bible says that Elisha came and uh, and boy, she was same type scenario and had very little to do on. And, and Elisha said, all right. And he said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go. And he said, I want you to borrow some vessels and not a few. And just go out and get as many vessels as you can. And man, they went out and brought pots and pans and everything into the house. And the Bible says they took that little cruise of oil and they began to fill up those vessels. And you know what? Man, they'd, they'd fill up one and then there was more and they'd fill up another and there was more and they'd fill up another and there was more. And they'd fill up another and there's more. And I mean, before they, uh, 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 before they knew it, uh, she said, uh, honey, bring me some more. And they said, mama, we ain't got any more to bring. We've borrowed every vessel we can bring. And you filled them all up. And Elisha said, see what God can do. He said, go sell that that thou hast and God's gonna take care of you. Now, wait a minute now. What are you saying? I'm saying that God is able, but many times God stops and says, I'll meet your need. I'll perform your miracle. I'll bring something great in your life. But first, I want you to do something. It's your move. Somebody may be here tonight. You say, preacher, I want God to bless me with good kids. And I say amen to that. But I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to do something? You say, preacher, I want great kids. Okay, are you willing to do something? By the way, God's able to give you great kids. But are you willing to make a move? How about this? Maybe that move ought to be a starting a family altar time. Maybe that move ought to be making sure your kids are in church every time the doors are open. Maybe that move ought to be getting them here for the youth activities. We heard about that tonight in the announcement time. Maybe that move ought to be that you make sure your kids are here for revival or you push them to get involved in a ministry. Again, are you following me tonight? That's all I'm saying. That God is able to do it, but God says, I want you to do something first. Let me give you two, let me give you two polar opposite illustrations tonight. It's been, several, it's been several years ago now. We were out, me and one of our men, we were out visiting. And there was a family that I had, I had, they don't attend the church, but there was a family. And I had preached the funeral for one of their children. It was a sad situation. And I'd preached the funeral for one of their children. And so I told this man that was visiting him, I said, listen, let's just go by and visit this family and see how they're doing, check on them. And, and so we went by and knocked on the door. I had not seen them in many months. And, and, uh, and they invited us in, but, uh, but reluctantly. It wasn't a, it, they, they didn't roll out the red carpet for us. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the welcome wagon, if you know what I'm talking about. It was a little cold. And I could tell, you know, I could tell there was something, you know, in the air. And, and they were a little mad about something and uh, a little upset about something. And so uh, I can't remember exactly how we finally got to the conversation, but, but I said, you know, something's, something's bothering y'all. And they said, well, they said, you know, Pastor, now that you brought it up, yes, there is. And they were, they were, really forthcoming and sort of bold. Uh, and they said, you know what? We're bothered about something. We're bothered about something that you didn't do. And I said, okay, I'm sorry. What, 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 what was it? And they said, when you preached the funeral for our child, you did not pronounce a blessing on our child. You didn't bless our child. Now listen, church. Truth of the matter is, according to this Bible right here, you know what? When death comes, it's over with. There's no blessing somebody after death. There's no bringing somebody back after death. Brother, after death, it's over. It's over. 
Now, I didn't say this to them. Uh, I, I, I thought about this, but I didn't say this to them. I didn't want to be unkind. And, and uh, uh, but this is what I thought in my mind, my heart. I thought, you know, rather than want me to uh, want a preacher that, by the way, that's not even your pastor uh, and you don't even go to the church, rather than want a preacher to bless your child in a funeral service after they've already died, wouldn't it have been better for you to bless them before they died? That's what I thought about. I mean, rather than get mad at the pastor because the pastor didn't pronounce some kind of a blessing over a dead corpse, I'm not trying to be disrespectful tonight, but I'm just saying, rather than get mad because I didn't pronounce some kind of a blessing or do some kind of a ceremony over a dead body in the casket, brother, wouldn't it have been better if you would have made a move when you were a parent? Wouldn't it have been better if you would have got up on Sunday morning and said, hey, kids, get up. Get up. Get up. We're going to church today. Hey, wouldn't it have been better if you'd have said, hey, hey, son, get up. We're going to take you to Sunday school. Wouldn't it have been better if you'd have said, hey, kids, we're going to drive you over to youth activity so you can get involved in the youth activity. Hey, kids, why don't you come on? Let's get involved in revival, and we want God to speak to our hearts, and we want God to do something great in our home. And Hey, brother, wouldn't that have been a whole lot better if they'd have blessed their child like that? Absolutely. That's all I'm saying. A lot of times we want God to do, we want God to do amazing things. When we ain't done anything. And so God give me great kids. And God says, okay, how about going to the pool salon? I, I got a lot to do, Lord. God says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you an anointing. How about going a thousand yards down to the pool of Siloam? Well, Lord, I would, but I don't think that's going to work in my schedule. And then at the same time, we get mad when God doesn't come through. And we say, boy, I don't understand. I mean, God, I don't understand why you didn't do this and why you didn't do that and why you didn't answer this prayer. And I'm just saying, brother, sometimes God says, hey, I want you to make a move. Two polar opposite illustrations. Some of you, some of you know the, 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 uh, the name uh, Paul. Was it Smith? Paul Smith. What was the missionaries used to come here? Fields. Paul Fields. Some of you know the Fields. And years ago, years ago, when I first came to Calvary, we had Brother Paul Fields. They were down in Paraguay. I think that's right, Paraguay. And we had the Fields here. And Brother Fields' kids were older kids. They were older kids. And I remember that night as they came, I remember that he, he got them really involved in the service. And you could tell, boy, they had a, man, they had a close family, so close. Uh, and his kids got so involved in the service. And they did some special things in the service that night. It was really impressive. Anyway, after the service that day and everybody had left and I remember walking Brother Fields out to the parking lot and I said, brother, I said, I got to ask you a question. He said, what is it? I said, man, what did you do to turn out such good kids? I mean, your kids are so involved in the service and they're so obedient and you can tell they love you and your wife and y'all love them and y'all are so close. And I said, what in the world did you do? This is what he said, I'll never forget it. This has probably been, well, I've been here 26, over 26 years now. And uh, he's, and I'll never forget, he said this. He said, well, preacher, and the first thing I didn't, I wasn't ready for. He said, well, preacher, he said, you know, number one, he said, we camped a lot. And I didn't understand that. But I've camped some now, and so I do understand it. Let me tell you something. You think something will bring you together, camping will bring you together. It'll throw you together. Sometimes more than you want to be. 
And he said, we camped a lot. You know, when you camp, when you camp, you can't get away from each other. You know, I mean, you cook together, you sleep together, you do about everything together. And he said, we camped a lot. And then he said this. He said, and number two, he said, preacher, he said, we got our kids involved in the ministry at an early age. He said, when they were just little, he said, man, we started giving them jobs to do. And we made sure they were in church, and made sure they were active. And man, we just started really, really getting them involved in the things of the Lord. And he said, I, if there was anything, I guess that would be it. Now, what are you saying? I'm saying, here was a man who said, Lord, I want you to give us great kids, but I'm willing to do some things. I'm willing to make a move. I'm willing to make an investment. I'm willing to do what I need to do. And so listen, it's your move. How about this? Somebody says, preacher, I want God to bless me financially. Ask a question. Are you willing to make a move? Are you willing to faithfully give your tithe and offering? Are you willing to start managing your finances responsibly? Luke 6, 38, give, and it shall be given unto you. Do you notice he didn't, that verse does not start, and it shall be given unto you. It says give, comma, and it shall be given unto you. In other words, God said, I am more than able to bless your, your bank account. But first of all, I want you to do something. First of all, I want you to make a move. Someone says, preacher, I want God to bless my marriage. That's wonderful. God can. But are you willing to do something? Are you willing to love your life like Christ loved the church? I'm talking about are you willing to love your wife like Christ loved the church? How many know that Jesus loved the church when the church didn't love him back? Jesus died for the church and rose for the church and suffered for the church, was shamed for the church, gave the church security, was willing to give the foundation for the church. Listen, are you willing to love your wife like that? Ask your question. Are you willing to reverence your husband and respect him and submit to him according to Ephesians chapter five? Someone says, preacher, I want God to bless my home. He's able, but are you willing to do something? Are you willing to make a move? Are you willing to, to declare like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now we're done. That's all I'm saying. You know why? You know what? Uh, some of you here tonight, you say, preacher, I want God's blessing on my life. Okay. Maybe God's waiting for you to go to the pool of Siloam. Maybe God's waiting for you to get involved in a ministry. Maybe God's been telling you to do something for a while, but you've not been doing it. Maybe you're here tonight and you've got a gift that God has given you, but you're not using it. Y'all see where I'm going? And so we say, God bless me, God bless me, God bless me. God says, okay, go wash the pool of Siloam. Uh, use your ministry for my sake. Get involved in a ministry. Do something for the, for, for the Lord. Uh, get involved in the house of God. Did you know tonight that no one ever just accidentally gets rich from the stock market? Nobody, no, nobody goes and reads the stock market tomorrow and says, man, you're not going to believe it. I just made a thousand or a million dollars on the stock market. Doesn't happen that way. Did you know it is imperative that first of all, they make an investment. And when they invest, you know what? Some of us ain't too concerned about the stock market. You know why? We don't have a whole lot in it. And if you don't have a whole lot in it, you can't lose a whole lot. But when you make an investment, that's when you can expect a return. And Jesus said this, listen to this verse and I'm done. Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added 
unto you. It could be tonight there's somebody here and the Lord is saying this. It's your move. It's your move. I'm willing. I'm able. I'm able to bless you beyond your wildest imaginations. But I'm waiting on you to make a move first. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for this day that you've given us, for this time that we've had together. And Lord, I, I pray now that you'll bless in this invitation. Lord, help us to realize that we cannot expect, we cannot respect return. Lord, except we've made some deposits. God, we, we can't expect a dividend except we've made some investments. And Lord, tonight, help us to realize that you are well able to heal blinded eyes, but it may be, first of all, that we've got to have to go to the pool of Siloam. Maybe there's somebody here tonight, Father, and there's, there's, maybe there's something in their life that shouldn't be there. And God, you're more than willing to bless them, but it could be that they're going to have to make the first move and get rid of whatever that is in their life that's hindering the blessing of God. Father, maybe there's somebody here tonight, and Lord, you want them to know that you're willing to bless them, but maybe you're waiting on them to join a ministry, or you're waiting on them to give, or you're waiting on them to serve, or you're waiting on them to obey, or you're waiting on them to yield. It could be a lot of different things, but God, tonight, help us to say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. It may be difficult to make my way to that pool, but I'm willing because I want your blessing that bad. So, Father, I pray that you'll have your way in this invitation. Please speak to hearts and save any that might be lost, please. And we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Why don't we stand tonight, if you will, please? Well, our, our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If God spoke to your heart tonight, you need to come. Why don't you join these that are in the altar tonight? You can make a decision in the, in the pew. There's no, no doubt about that. But you know, there's something really special about slipping out to an old-fashioned altar and sealing that decision at an old-fashioned altar. Would you come tonight? Would you come? What is it tonight that you need? God's able. God is able but he may be waiting for you to make a move first. What is it tonight? What is it? Would you come while we wait? Would you come? 